Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to uh, the latest episode of the Rossafari podcast, Zoo News. This is your uh, opportunity to hear all about what's going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, animal weirdness, conservation, all that good stuff. And uh, for those of you who are new to the pod or who have bad memories, uh, just a quick reminder, Zoo News is completely crowdsourced. Uh, You can tag me in things on social media at Rossafari or TikTok at Rossafari Pod or email me things, rossafaripod at gmail.com, and I will drop them into Zoo News or, or not. Depends. Sometimes I get more submissions than I can put in here. And uh, regardless, I'll say your name at the end of the episode to say thanks. So uh, that's exciting. And uh, yeah, speaking of exciting, this episode is dropping on Friday, December 2nd, which also happens to be opening night of Million Dollar Quartet at Asbury Park Theater Company, uh, right outside of Asbury Park, New Jersey. So uh, as I've mentioned on here before, if you're in the area, please consider coming and checking it out. It's running the first two weekends of December. And um, it's the first time I've ever directed the show. I, I actually co-directed it with my buddy Jason, uh, who y'all have heard me talk about from from the show Great Balls of Fire and from some of the other Million Dollar Quartets that I've done. And uh, it's it's a really good time. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You know, I've been doing this show for almost eight years now. Uh, this is actually my 21st production of it, including all of the national tours that have run of it nonstop since I started with it almost eight years ago. And... Um, This is the first time in a long time that I have a mostly new cast, so uh, it's been really cool to work with new people and teach them the show, and also to step into the director role a bit. Um, One of the more entertaining things is I I was talking through some of the, there's not a lot of choreography in the show, but I was talking through some of the specific dance stuff with the actors and it wasn't quite landing. And uh, I kind of remember thinking like, oh, the director should show them, ah, crap, I'm I'm the director. And so, y'all, I was doing Elvis dance moves, and I even did a little spin dance move that uh, Diane, the the female character in the show, does. Uh, Suffice to say, it has been a really interesting experience. Um, But if you come see the show, sadly, you won't get to see that. You'll get to see people who are actually good at these things doing them. But uh, it's a nice little mental image for y'all, picturing me making a fool of myself doing that professionally. Um, And then, yeah, the other big exciting news in Johnville is that I, uh, as a matter of fact, was this today? Was this today or was this yesterday? All the days run together. Recently, in the last couple of days, as I'm I'm recording this, um, I submitted my very last assignment 
for my uh, first semester of grad school. So that is done. I ended uh, the semester with A's in both of my classes, rocking it, obviously. And uh, I I also signed up for next semester. So still working out some details there and and figuring out um, if I can make all of the classes I want to take and such. But yeah, Project Dragonfly is, uh, is a thing and continues to be a thing. And I'm really, really proud of myself for getting through a tough semester uh, that was not just tough because of the work, but because of everything going on in my life. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to a bunch of the back episodes of uh, Zoo News, because it's been a heck of a year, y'all. Heck of a year. But it's been a good year in a lot of ways, including just that we get to be here together every week. And uh, so I'm going to stop talking about John News and switch to actual Zoo News. Well, it's one for the pennies. For the base, three for the markers. Now you should care. Now won't you listen to Zoo News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoo News? Well, it's a Zoo, 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 Zoo. All right, so the big news this week is out of the Toledo Zoo, where they announced that they have recently welcomed twin polar bear cubs to the family. The parents are 24-year-old female Crystal and 18-year-old male Nuka. This is really really exciting. Um, They will probably be on exhibit uh, in the spring of 2023, so start planning your trips to Toledo now. And in case you don't remember, um, I've mentioned on here a couple of times that polar bears in zoos really struggle population-wise. The reason being that we cannot import polar bears into the mainland United States uh, for any reason because of a congressional law. And, you know, while we are not a fan of facilities taking animals out of the wild generally, we do tend to have a lot of rescued animals that are rehabilitated but unable to be re-released into the wild that live in captive populations and have great long lives and help contribute to the uh, growth of their species through breeding and such, right? But we can't do that with polar bears. We can only, uh, for lack of a better word, restock the population through breeding. So two polar bear cubs is a huge deal right now. I am so excited. I love the Toledo Zoo. I know some people who are like members there and cannot wait to go and see them. This is really exciting. And uh, just so you know, there is a live viewing feed available from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. on the Toledo Zoo YouTube channel. So you can actually go have a live look in on Crystal and the Cubs during the day. Sorry to all the bosses out there who just lost hours of productivity from workers that listen to this podcast. But congrats to everyone at the Toledo Zoo. Oh, and that's not the only birth I'm excited to talk about this week. Heck, that's not the only cold weather species birth I'm excited to talk about this week. The Metro Richmond Zoo announced that they have recently had a new snow leopard cub join the family. It's a girl. And apparently she is very feisty with a very big personality, according to her keepers. And um, I'm just really excited because snow leopards are another one of those species you just don't hear about breeding quite enough for for me, in my opinion. And so this is a really big deal. Uh, Yay to the Metro Richmond Zoo. 
And then one more quick birth to announce. Uh, there is a brand new baby scimitar horned oryx at the Lehigh Valley Zoo in Pennsylvania. The calf is named Eclipse, and uh, so cutie, not gonna lie, it's a cutie. Uh, in case you did not know this, scimitar horned oryxes are actually extinct in the wild right now. The only populations that we have are captive populations, so every single birth is wildly important. Uh, it's really cool that Lehigh Valley Zoo, uh, you know, the zoo we've had on the podcast before, and it's actually pretty close to where I live, uh, has this incredible species there and had this amazing birth. So I love starting this episode off with a couple of really hopeful birth announcements. It's just really exciting, and they're all really, uh, really cool, you know, endangered species. It also brings up a really interesting conundrum, though, in that we've been playing with this idea of bintlets, pandlets, whatever. We've been making this dumb joke for way too long, but as you all know, running a joke into a ground is kind of what I do. But yeah, it gets to a weird place with some of these longer names, like scimitar-horned oryx, right? Okay, so the first word is scimitar, so the first syllable is sim, so would it be a simlet? Or is it a scimitar-horned oryxlet? Or a scimitar whorelet? No, it's not that one. It's definitely not that one. But um, yeah, I, I think, I guess technically we've gone with red pandlet. So I guess it would be a scimitar-horned oryxlet. Orlick? Orlet. Orlix. Orlixlet. Orlixlet. I like it. Yeah, Orlixlet. It's it's not the greatest, but because of that, it is also kind of the greatest. And that means that we now have that and a polar bearlet and a snow leplet. Snow leplet. I like all of this so much. For the three of you that have not given up on me and deleted this episode, thank you. And although we don't have kittens from this procedure to announce yet, while we're on the birth phase of the podcast, I wanted to announce that the Cincinnati Zoo and our friends at Crew there have teamed up with Henry Dorley Zoo and Fossil Rim Wildlife Center to artificially inseminate black-footed cats for the first time ever. This has never been successful before, but it looks like it might have been this time. So uh, these zoos are combining to hope that this will work out because um, a lot of times uh, black-footed cats do not breed particularly well. So if the scientists at Crew and the rest of these uh, zoos here have been able to figure this out, that will be a major breakthrough. And honestly, just the fact that they are doing the procedure and giving it a shot is a huge deal. Again, this is the kind of stuff I always say zoos need to talk about more. It's really cool that we're out here trying to solve reproductive issues of a species that may go extinct if they're not able to reproduce better. So yay to all of that. Mystic Aquarium has announced a partnership with Orsted and Eversource where they are going to be researching the effect of offshore wind turbines on marine life, especially sea turtles. This is one of those really interesting things where, um, you know, whenever we try to figure out cool solutions to conservation problems, sometimes we don't know what all of the maybe unintended consequences are going to be. And so right now, as the United States keeps moving closer to using more wind power and solar power and, and you know, all that good renewable stuff, um, they have started setting up wind turbines in in the ocean. But what exactly does that do to the wildlife there? Well, we don't know. They they haven't actually 
done any research on that yet. So that's now what is going to be done, and it's based out of Mystic Aquarium, which is really, really awesome. Uh, they are believing that the start of this project is going to show them that, uh, you know, the nature and marine life can totally coexist with uh, clean energy projects in the water, and that this will have a great impact on climate change. But, you know, this is one of those things that I'm always fascinated by. What if that's not what they find? What if they find that there are issues? Well, then they have to figure out how bad the issues are and is there a way to mitigate them? And are those issues worse than the climate change issues that we're going to continue to see get worse and worse over time if we don't switch to more renewable resources? So, um, yeah, this is just the kind of thing that I, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the more I learn about conservation. And I think it's really cool that Mystic Aquarium is a big part of this project. And speaking of, you know, aquariums and sea turtles, some of my favorite topics— New England Aquarium in Boston has already taken in over 150 cold-stunned sea turtles to uh, try to rescue and rehabilitate and re-release this year. That is a huge number, and they believe that it's brought on by some cold snaps that we've had. It, it kind of makes sense. But um, yeah, there's a whole lot of turtle stranding happening, uh, like I mentioned last week, down in Corpus Christi, and more cold-stunning than usual. And it's just kind of a rough time to be a, a sea turtle, which is sad because, you know, sea turtles are awesome. And, you know, it's not just the sea turtles that are having issues, but also tortoises. Uh, in fact, the St. Augustine Alligator Farm recently announced that two young Galapagos tortoises that were born at the zoo back in 2017 as part of the SSP and that require special diets and supplements have been stolen. Seriously, stolen. Um... And they said, if you know someone who came home with a large black tortoise this week, it was not purchased legally. This species is not available in the pet trade, and they will get to be 600 pounds. They cannot be outside on cooler nights, even in Florida. So uh, if you happen to be in Florida and notice that one of your friends brought home two already fairly large black tortoises, uh, turn them in. It's, it's, yeah, turn them in. Um, and while I realize that's unlikely, it would be pretty cool if we had an unsolved mysteries type thing happen here on the podcast. But, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, another thing I mentioned, uh, on Zoo News recently that the turtle and tortoise trade has gotten absolutely out of control recently. And while we don't know if that's exactly what happened here, it's pretty crazy that right after, uh, that study came out, uh, two Galapagos tortoises were stolen from their home. That's it's, it's ridiculous. People are ridiculous. The Melbourne Zoo in Melbourne, Australia, has announced that they have recently witnessed the birth of not one, but two Asian elephant calves. Ellets. Uh, now, this is not the same as what happened in Syracuse, where there are twins. There are two mothers who both had successful births, which is really exciting. So their trail of the elephant area is currently closed so that the uh, herd can appropriately adapt. But soon you'll be able to go to the Melbourne Zoo and see two baby Asian elephants, which is awesome. Uh, and I'm also telling you that to rip the Band-Aid off as we turn to some important animal deaths that happened this uh, this week because they, they really are important. Um, yeah. So first of all, uh, I'm sad to say goodbye to Dalip, a 56-year-old bull elephant that lived at Zoo Miami. Dalip was the oldest bull elephant in the country. 
And uh, our buddy Ron McGill, who was our first episode at season two, um, has worked at Zoo Miami for 43 years and has known him the entire time that Ron has worked there. So that is a very sad loss and a very big loss, but it also yet again illustrates how awesome zoos are that there was an elephant bull that lived to the age of 53 at Zoo Miami. That is absolutely incredible. And that's not the only incredible but also kind of sad death. As the Fort Wayne Children's Zoo recently announced the loss of the oldest reticulated giraffe in the country. Zuri was 34 years old when she passed away recently. 34 is an absolutely amazing age for a reticulated giraffe. Um, Frequently, they'll live 10 or more years less than that. So that's just a really big deal. So yeah, both of these stories are sad, and condolences to everyone at the zoo and, and all the people who knew them. But again, they're just such an amazing story at the same time because these animals live so long in captivity so frequently and and they have the best lives and long lives and it's it's just really cool to see and and really heartwarming and last but not least in zoo news this week uh there has been a study done recently that examined the monterey bay aquarium sea otter rehabilitation program and has come to officially announce that it is a rousing success. Uh, The steps being taken at that incredible aquarium uh, include as little hands-on contact as possible and using um, surrogate mothers to raise uh, abandoned sea otter pups and then release them into the wild, and it is a rousing success. It is going super well, and in fact, um, the authors of the study said that the this this just proves yet again that uh, zoos and aquariums that are doing proper work like this are absolutely going to help save these species and work with the reintroduction programs and all that kind of stuff and it's it's just a really cool thing this is a, an actual peer-reviewed scientific study proving that zoos are doing the thing that we all say they're doing that anti-captivity people swear they're not doing so suck at them we win yay <laughs> Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. So, we start off conservation news this week with some not great news about red pandas, which is sad. Now, I know that I have recently, uh, well, like within the last year or so, shared that red panda populations seem to be increasing and doing better. And unfortunately, that is no longer the case. Um, deforestation has gotten worse. Poaching has gotten wildly worse since the pandemic. Uh, it seems like poverty and misinformation among local communities, um, have been really exacerbated by the pandemic and things are getting worse. And so there's just more poaching than ever. And despite the fact that, uh, our friends at Red Panda Network are of course doing an amazing job to educate the local population and try to lift them out of poverty 
and use ecotourism and plant a new red panda home and all the things that we talk about on here all the time, uh, it, it seems like the numbers have backslid a little bit. Um, there, it's, it's really hard to get a, an actual population count of red pandas. There could be as few as 2,500 left in the wild. There could be as many as um, 10,000. So it's, it's hard to get a real number. But from what we can tell and from how sightings are happening and everything, it genuinely seems like the population is declining faster than um, – it being saved at this point. So, of course, uh, this is also a friendly reminder that if that story makes you sad, that you can donate to Red Panda Network or volunteer for Red Panda Network like I do. Or uh, if you would like to go and try to see Red Pandas in the wild, uh, you can pay for a Red Panda Network eco trip, which is a responsible form of ecotourism where you get to go to Nepal and try to see Red Pandas in the wild and not disturb them, but um, see them and And uh, I highly recommend that you do all of these things and also maybe take me with you, please. It's not really that expensive, please, maybe? No? Okay. Well, hey, I tried. But yeah, go save red pandas. That's important. All right. Now let's talk about avian influenza for a minute. Uh, Two quick stories about that horrible disease. First of all, SANCOB, which is the organization that we've talked about a bunch with Katie Prop of Penguins International. Uh, They do all kinds of seabird work, including helping out with a lot of um, penguins and such. SANCOB is under a temporary quarantine, prohibiting any seabird admittances and preventing any seabird releases because positive cases of of highly pathogenic avian influenza, HPAI, or bird flu, have been confirmed in African penguins undergoing rehabilitation at Sankob in Cape Town, Africa. Um, that's really concerning because they do have really effective biosecurity protocols there and also an off-site quarantine facility for new admissions. So uh, the fact that it got in there is really scary and also just, you know... A friendly reminder to all of my zoo crew listeners, um, if you work at a zoo and, and you know, it's maybe not being taken seriously, the, the bird flu, because I know I have heard that from some people, um, damn it, take it seriously. Because even with quarantine stuff, Sankob, one of the best in the world at handling this kind of thing, now has to be on quarantine because of that situation. So uh, yeah, let's let's take this seriously. Can't believe that we are three years into COVID and uh, there are still people who don't want to take diseases <clears throat> seriously. But anyway, and while we are on the subject of bird flu, And speaking of bird flu, a black bear cub in southeast Alaska recently became very ill with avian influenza. Now, it is not often transmitted to mammals, but this is another example of the fact that it can happen. The vets in Alaska believe that the um, cub actually ate a bird that was infected, and that's how... Uh, the bear was infected, so that's it's a little bit better than just the way that it's transferred normally, which is just coming into contact with each other, like bird to bird. But there have now been foxes and a bear that have gotten sick with avian influenza. So while it does not transfer to mammals often, it can, which is yet again another reason that we need to be 
really careful about taking this disease seriously and, you know, handling it properly and doing good biosecurity and all of that stuff. So yeah, be, be smart uh, about your birds if you're working in a zoo. And um, if you see birds on exhibit in zoos, you know, nicely ask why. Uh, there are some species that can't get it and stuff. It can be okay. But, um, you know, it, it's good to encourage our zoos to, to take this seriously. It's been a little bit since we've talked about white-nose syndrome, which is a disease that is decimating cave-dwelling bat species um, all around the United States and and Canada. Uh, But because of this disease being so dang bad, the Biden administration recently declared the northern long-eared bat an officially endangered species. Uh, This is considered a last-ditch effort to save the species that had been doing relatively fine until white-nose syndrome came along and now is just wiping out the northern long-eared bat at unprecedented rates. Uh, So they are currently working on partnering with other agencies and trying to figure out... um, how to best handle this situation, but they are an endangered species that does not have a lot of time left unless we are able to either get to the bottom of white nose syndrome or, uh, you know, help the population in other ways. So yeah, that's, that's kind of a sad one, uh, but not unexpected. This disease is just out of control. And then last but not least in conservation news this week, uh, I just, I wanted to share a story that, I don't know, this might just be one of those things that only tickles me, but I wanted to share it with y'all. So, okay, I am a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. And uh, for you that don't know, that is a cartoon series that ran on Nickelodeon years ago and is really popular with uh, children and adults. Um, And it's got a really cool story. And a big element of it is that there are hybrid animals in it, Um, turtle ducks and a fire ferret, which is a uh, mixture of a firefox or, you know, a red panda and a ferret. And it's all really adorable. Um, And there is now an official podcast about Avatar called Braving the Elements. Uh, If you've listened to all of the Zoo News episodes, you've heard me talk about this before, because on an early episode of that podcast, they discovered that Appa, which is a flying bison in the show, is actually a hybrid animal, a mixture of a bison and a manatee. And at the time, the two hosts did not really know what manatees were. Um, so they, they talked about it and they kind of asked questions and people reached out. I reached out, fans reached out. Actually, our friends at Moat Marine Laboratory reached out, the same people that I interviewed and got to meet Hugh and Buffett, their manatees with, and offered to have Janet and Dante, the hosts of that podcast, go visit and learn about manatees and meet Hugh and Buffett as well. Now, to my knowledge, Janet and Dante have not taken the opportunity to do that, but Janet fell in love with manatees from all of this conservation education that happened kind of almost unintentionally. And uh, she recently announced on the podcast that she is hosting a fundraiser online for Save the Manatee. And um, I just think that is so cool. So you can go check out Save the Manatee online and, and find the fundraiser and everything. But I just, I love this story so much because here's, you know, an actor who did a voice role many years ago and is now doing a recap podcast. And because of good, effective communication 
about conservation and sharing animals and making people fall in love with animals, this this famous person is now doing a fundraiser to save manatees. And, and that is why I always say, you know, it's always good to talk about this stuff and you never really know what impact you're going to have when you do. So I just wanted to share that one with y'all. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast other news. A recent study came out that shows that Toxoplasma gondii, which is a single-celled parasite that infects at least one-third of the world's human population at any given time uh, and gives the disease Toxoplasmosis, uh, has a really interesting effect on the behavior of wolves. It turns out that wolves that have this disease are significantly more likely to become the top dog in their wolf pack than wolves that don't have the disease. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. We know that behavior is influenced by all kinds of different things, uh, you know, genetics, past experiences, stuff that you're going through in life, social context, all of those things. And now we have proof that uh, parasites can also be added to that list. Um, it's really interesting to think about how much this might affect other animals in the wild and also makes you kind of wonder if uh, this disease that is pretty uh, – prevalent in humans might be having an effect on uh, the behavior of humans in a way that we haven't realized yet. So very interesting fact that um, I don't really have a lot more to say about right now, but that uh, it's something that's going to be continue to be studied and uh, hopefully we can learn more about soon. Um, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. And then going along with that, there is a city in Pennsylvania that has just officially made it illegal to declaw cats. And there is a $500 fine for anybody who ignores the uh, ban. So this is Allentown, which is one of the bigger cities in Pennsylvania. And uh, this is a really good Thing. Now, they did make some exceptions, including therapeutic purposes such as illness or infection, but just getting a cat declawed to declaw a cat is now illegal in Allentown, Pennsylvania. That's really cool because a lot of states have already made it illegal. Uh, Pennsylvania is obviously not one of those, and there are many cities and towns across the country that have in the states that haven't yet. So nice to see Pennsylvania, or at least one city in Pennsylvania, stepping up. For those of you who don't know this, um, declawing a cat would be roughly the equivalent of cutting off a human's fingers at the knuckles. So it's it's really, really gross, y'all, and, and something that I do not really condone ever, again, unless it's, you know, necessary to save the cat's life. But yeah, don't declaw cats, and especially not if you're in Allentown, because if you do, it's going to cost you 500 bucks. Uh, and then last but not least in other news this week... The Cleveland Browns got a new player this week. No, no, I'm not talking about Deshaun Watson, who is their quarterback, who is officially ending a suspension that was way too short for doing way too much gross stuff and is is now coming back to play quarterback because when you're really talented, you can get away with stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Rally Skunk. Rally Skunk is a skunk that appeared in the stands 
at the latest Cleveland Browns home game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's crazy. Think about that. Think about how hard it is to get into a stadium and navigate a stadium that's as big as a professional football team stadium, like the uh, the Brown Stadium, which is, you know, often referred to as the factory of sadness because the Browns have not exactly been a, um, you know, successful team lately. Um, but yeah, so there is actually video out there of this, this skunk in the stands. You can go to uh, at Brown's underscore rally underscore skunk on Instagram to see this little adorable skunk. Um, and it's also really funny to see just kind of how all the, the fans in the area just were very calm about it, reacted fairly well, and um, everything was fine. The crazy thing is that despite the fact that the Browns are not having a particularly successful uh, season this year, and despite the fact that they were playing against Tom Brady, the Browns are actually able to win the game in overtime. And, you know, it is my personal opinion that the skunk helped. That is why it is a rally skunk. And I just think it is an adorable and fun story. It's also kind of interesting because honestly, the skunk is probably the part of the Browns that stinks the least. Oh, animal, animal. All right, and that brings us to your animal holidays for the week. It is a new month, which is December, which is not any animal month. So, yeah, but it is the last month of the year of the wildcat. And then today is Friday, December 2nd, which is National Mutt Day. Then on the 3rd, it is Baboon Day and World Kawadi Day. The 4th is International Cheetah Day and World Wildlife Conservation Day, and also launches Walrus Awareness Week, which is an awesome week where you get to be aware of walruses, which are a great thing to be aware of. And then last but not least for your animal holidays this week, it is the 5th is World Soil Day. And uh, while you may be thinking, wait a minute, Soil isn't an animal. I'm either putting that here because it is an important conservation day and because many animals live on or in soil, or because, as you know, many, many zookeepers end up getting their clothing soiled as they get a poop story. All right, so there you have it, folks. Another week of Rossafari Zoo News, and I want y'all to picture this. Um, I'm I'm currently at housing for my gig in Asbury Park, and it is a lovely Airbnb, but it is a new Airbnb, and it is not one that is really fully set up for you know people to be staying in it. Um, for instance, it took uh, almost a week for us to get um, cookware and dishes and stuff like that. Uh, it is a two-bedroom apartment with uh, one towel in it. Fortunately, my my roomie here, Justin, my, my good buddy and bass player, happened to bring his own, so we're doing okay in that regard. But um, what I want you to picture is that it is an entire Airbnb with no chairs. And I just have my small little mic stands that I usually put on a desk to record this. So this entire episode has been recorded with me sitting uh, cross-legged on the floor, using the very low bed that I am trying to sleep in every night as a desk. 
you're welcome. And speaking of welcomes and thanks, I would like to say thank you to Lara Shank, my Red Panda level patron. And Lara, I know uh, it's it's been a journey right now, but I'm very proud of you. I think you are a wonderful person and you are a strong person and you got this, my friend. I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who contributed to the episode this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kevin Williams, Liz Dunlevy, and Kristen Khalil. And remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits Backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.